Welcome and thank you for listening to the Green Majority Podcast. We had a great show today that was almost entirely inspired by listener email. We actually hope this happens a lot more. So feel free to write us in, tell us you think we're right, tell us you think we're wrong. We love to hear from you. And uh, we really enjoy uh, creating content inspired directly from our listeners. So please enjoy this week's episode. Just to remind you as well, if you can, we'd love it if you could support us on Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority is how you can help and help continue the show being produced. Without further ado, here's the show. Welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. You might be listening on, well, local station. You might be listening on a not-local station, one of our wonderful and very appreciated community partners. You could be listening on Rabble.ca, our uh, newest and very appreciated uh, syndication partner, uh, or the podcast, which is a great place to go if you uh, are not sick of us after an hour every week <laughs> where you can hear additional content uh, as well. Almost always about the environment, except for last week. We yes. took a break and talked about other general items. If you're interested in that, we won't talk about it now, but go listen to last week's uh, bonus show, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. But without further ado, we have um, we have a few things we're going to do, and I'm going to I'm just going to just basically preview the show, and then I'm going to throw it to Stefan. We're going to talk about a little bit of news headlines here right off the top of the show. So just by way of a little bit of preview, we've actually had a, a Stefan and I in, in private have had a, a lot of conversations both uh, between ourselves and with other folks about uh, you know food systems. Uh, Stefan and his brother, before I actually even met Stefan, uh, produced an animated video very much in the well, basically the same style as climate cartoons, uh, which has what like fifteen thousand. Views now? I think it's almost 17 now. 17,000 views. I don't now. know where they all come from. About factory farming. I think it was just Dave sitting, 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 <laughs> sitting with refresh, refresh, refresh. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of things, a lot of interest in f- and food. And of course, food and what we eat and, and how it's produced and the, and the unimaginable amount of waste. Like some, I believe it's, o- it's over 55%, if I'm not wrong, uh, the amount of food that's like produced and then just goes in landfill. So like not consumed uh, food is wasted. And the fact that if we had 100% ratio, which is not attainable, but just you know, for argument's sake, if we had 100% or sorry, 0% waste, 100% use, that we could feed every person on the planet, no problem. Well, just uh, so, jump in there. We could feed anyone on the planet, no problem already uh it's just that we allocate it terribly right so food is a food is a very interesting topic it's a very complex topic uh and i i think i like i think i find it interesting because of its complexity to some degree mm-hmm. um but so because of that in any way so stefan and i had uh, some really interesting back and forth and i want to thank very much very heartfeltly um a number of listeners who wrote into us to uh, give us some criticism about some of our comments so i want to i'm just going to make a brief statement about that and then we'll move on to newt so what essentially happened was um, Stefan and I, over the past couple of weeks, have made some without if you don't have the context and you don't know the whole story and you don't know what sort of our experience with these issues has been, some very understandably flippant sounding comments. Quite incendiary as well. And, and uh, yes, arguably condescending as well. So w- some of those things were um, uh, there's a reason why we said them, but we had some really interesting feedback. Some of the emails we got were people who just misunderstood what we meant. And we, I had a really amazing conversation with somebody who was like, I demand an apology. And then I explained what 
what I was talking about. And they're like, oh, shoot, my bad. And that's cool. I love that. I mm-hmm. love that. And I thanked them actually for calling us. I said, you know, you, you happen to have been, you know, quote unquote, if someone was wrong, it was you this time because <laughs> you misunderstood what I said. But I said, the, the idea that you heard something you didn't like and you emailed us to challenge us on it. I love that. And I said, never stop doing that. And, and we're never always right. So, so I encourage that. And I encourage that listener to, you know, to do it again. If you, it's something else that we think we say that you think we're wrong, please email us. However, we wanted to, because we sort of did stir up a little bit of hornet's nest with that, we wanted to do a proper address of what we thought about it. And of course, what we're talking about here is, is veganism and its relationship to climate. So we're actually going to spend a very large portion of the rest of the show talking about that, at least the middle section, possibly almost all of the second section as well, just to really run through that issue. So, but before we get to that, there is, of course, every single week, always something to talk about, always important news. And I'm going to let Stefan start us off. Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Uh, so the, the biggest, arguably the biggest news uh, this week, at least in, in, in Canadian environment circles, uh, has to be the new, uh, U of T announcing its divestment or its plan to divestment, which they, I think they really should have realized that this connection is made. They called it Beyond Divestment, <laughs> uh, which someone immediately connected to BP's new name, Beyond Petroleum, <laughs> uh, which, as, which really... You, you know, for the, all the money they probably spent in figuring out how to sell this lack of divestment, you think they might have thought of that connection. Marketing fail. Yeah, exactly. Carry on. Uh, but anyways, so the, so the, they released a very long report. Uh, the long and short of it is that they are not going to divest. Uh, and so this is... The, the, I'll, I'll read the executive summary of, of the actual pers- please by, uh, by President Gertler in a half a second. Uh, but the long and short is that they're not going to do it and uh, in that they have... so. And they have many reasons as to why. Uh, but what's interesting about this is that their actual and executive committee suggested they do divest. That was the biggest. That was such a success that the Toronto 350 or UFT 350 uh, had so successfully pushed and actually made a full case. Their briefing was like was 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 big enough that if you drop in your toe, it'd probably break your and probably break your foot. Um, and and they had, they did extensive work on this and really really managed to convince a a good subset of people who would who are not you know who are not climate people. They were you know they were they were a whole different committee uh, that divestment was a good idea that they then suggested Gertler uh, to divest and and after a year of consideration they've reported no uh, but let me read the executive summary just so we have a bit of a context here the university welcomes the report of the advisory committee led by the environmental engineering professor Brian Carney and we commend the committee for its work great great start I, I, I have a joke, actually. Which if I ever send you an email, it starts with, thanks for reaching out. I'm probably <laughs> saying no. Uh, and I, so I think that first sentence does not bode well for the rest of this. Oh, I, just for clarity, uh, that does not come scary to me because I, I start almost all emails like that. All right. So, so that's no, only for Stefan. Only for, only for me. Um, the severity of the challenge posed by climate change requires us to take a comprehensive and ultimately more impactful approach to manage the university's long-term direct investments and over time, its long-term indirect investments. A serious limitation to any decision to divest from fossil fuels, fossil companies, is that such firms only account for one quarter of Canada's greenhouse gases, which the, with the balance produced by the other sectors such as transportation, housing, and manufacturing. Although the vegans are very mad that agriculture wasn't included there, as as they should be. Yeah, uh, building on the building on the committee's advice, an approach that considers ESG factors, including climate-related risk. And, as they pertain to all sectors of, the, of our economy, would seem to offer the best chance uh, of success in meeting the challenge of climate change, while fulfilling our fiduciary duties to the university's pension and endowment fund beneficiaries. So that's a very long-winded no. Uh, and I, I think that's fascinating here is the, the the idea that it only takes that fossil fuel companies only are twenty five percent of 
so actually, this actually will tie in somewhat interestingly to the vegan thing. So I'm going to throw this out there right now, uh, which is whenever you hear numbers and percentages, there's so many questions you have to break down that break that down. Uh, which is that twenty say, saying that Canadian energy sector only is twenty five percent. That in that pre- presumes, I believe, that you're only including the fossil fuel sector within with not with, with its up upstream emissions. So this is the fossil fuels that are used to create more fossil fuels, and ignores say cars and all the other ways fossil fuels would be burned later. Well, the next thing on that list is transportation. Exactly. What do you think they're transporting it with? Exactly. Um, and so and so this idea that that, that divesting from fossil Fossil fuels is only twenty five percent. Well, only twenty five percent. When in reality, that twenty five percent encompasses almost every one of the other things. Like, what? Well, like, one is housing. How do you heat houses? It's the exact same thing, right? There's, there's every single one of these. Like, the energy sector is such a is is pervades through all the rest of the locations that to break twenty five percent is is it, it is obscuring the facts. And I think it's like saying I'm going to boycott computers, but I'm going to invest in microchips. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's not perfect, but I came up with that. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Um, But I think I think that's what's important here is that whenever you hear percentages or numbers thrown around as if they're complete fact, check what it includes and what it doesn't include. Uh, And we'll get more to that, actually, uh, in in the vegan section. Well, Well, and the the other thing that jumps out about me about that is that there's another way to parse that sentence identically that leads to the opposite conclusion, even if we're not talking about, you know, how you you discern those numbers, which is you could make the exact same sentence was, you know, U of T has decided to divest because did you know that, that fossil fuels are responsible for 25% of Canada's emissions? <laughs> right, right, exactly. If you, you could make that number be in the whatever argument you wanted to make it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, high, it's all it's on tone. Um, but I want to say, so what, what it seems like, what, what they're basically looking towards to do is what a bunch of Canadian universities, a bunch of universities who are, are refusing to fully divest are doing, which is this idea of we're going to take the worst defenders of all the, of all the different sectors and, and reduce it. Uh, and which I want to tell a short story about the power of activism um, uh, to to sort of to, to explain why this is why that's personally interesting to me, which is that I have a I have a, I have a good friend who uh, who was working at one point uh, on on this idea of divestment, but they, they were working on an idea that that this this or what basically is twenty percent of the worst re- re- worst offenders would then reduce and then uh, instead of doing just all fossil fuels, you know, as a way to keep. Uh, keep it uh, diverse while keep your portfolio diverse while while still reducing climate change or carbon. Well, change. It's something Tim Nash would probably call pacing. The idea of sort of like you know incentivize the best and punish the worst and sort of move the middle with you. Exactly and yeah exactly. So you're cutting it's the, the idea uh, to, to short form is it cutting the worst offenders from all sectors rather than just cutting out the fossil sector. Which uh, is not which is not necessarily and I just because Tim's probably going to listen to right. this uh, is not necessarily a bad strategy. Right and, and, and arguably it, it would be a great strategy if. You could get like it's 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 not it's not the reason why the divestment movement is so, is pushing for things, but at least it's better than nothing. Right? Definitely. Um, and so the story I want to tell is that so that my friend was working on this project and got a chance to talk to uh, the head of one of the major universities endowment funds, uh, and and basically the answer they got on on this twenty percent reduction of all worst offenders, not even just fossil investment, they got was I like the idea, I can't bring that to my board. Mm. Um, and then after, after she said that, I sort of smiled because we have this sort of back and forth between activism versus non-activism or the power of activism. And I was like, oh, so it sort of sounds like, and so what's happening now? They're doing that exact thing? Oh, do you think that's because someone demanded they get revolve fossil fuels and now they fell back on your, your on your fallback position? Do you think that actually was effective? Um, to which she you know, walked away. But <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, this, there's this power. I think that's... The, 
there's a, I've been slowly coming around to this idea that uh, so part of the power of activism is not demanding less. Uh, but and by doing that, you sort of you, you sort of force the hand of, of of these large institutions to at least come to the table with something something something. Uh, and again, uh, I three fifty uh, Toronto three fifty is is about to ramp up their escalation uh, escalation on 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 fighting for divestment. Uh, so we're going to see that over the next couple months, we're going to see more and more action uh, on back repressuring the U of T to actually fully divest from fossil fuels. And you uh, mean that you mean that in both senses, both in the sense we're going to see it like what will be in the news, and we're actually at U of T, so we'll most likely actually see it. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it will be going past our studio, uh, and so and so look for that. Uh, and if you want to get involved, check out Trans Three Fifty because they're just now. Now, now with that decision, they're they're ramping up their efforts to uh, to repressure uh, repressure the U of T and uh, across the investment movement across across Canada is sort of re-upping and, and we'll see it a lot. Three fifty loves volunteers more than we do, so exactly right. <laughs> check them out. Um, and which and so and why this is so important sort of leads us into the leads us into the next topic hmm. uh, because why why should why should we divest some fossil fuels? Well, that's a I feel like answer that every week, but uh, we have an especially <laughs> interesting the one this week. Sh- that could be the name of the show. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, but uh, James Hansen. Uh, yes. You don't take that one, Derek. Yeah. So Dr. James Hansen, formerly of the NASA Space Goddard Institute, uh, was one of the first really vocal uh, people talking about climate change uh, at at a significant level, and not just talking about it at all, because, of course, it was, you know, it's sort of an idea that was floating around and people started talking about it. But as far as, like, really bringing it to the public and, and trying to make it an issue, even even before Al Gore was really, uh, you know, Dr. Hansen was there. Uh, I, as a quick aside, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Hansen a few years ago. It was played on the show. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't even know if I can get the file anymore because we had a server crash, which is really terrible. I'd love to replay it, but uh, one of my favorite parts of that uh, interview was that right at the end, I, you know, someone was always like, ask, always, always finish with a funny question. Uh, <laughs> and it was actually a friend of the show, another friend of the show, Liam O'Doherty, who, uh, who I, whose question I, I accepted and, and used. And I said, you know, what, you know, assuming we don't, you know, do a great job as we, you know, even at the time, I was like, we probably, we're probably not going to do a great job dealing with this problem. So, you know, if you were an investor, what would, what sort of technology or what sort of industry would you invest in? Uh, you know, so what, what do you think, what do you think will be a good thing to deal with? You know, if we assume climate change is going to happen, what, you know, where would you put your money? And he leaned in and without a, a single wrinkle on his face changing, without a hint of a smile in it, in a very, he has a very deep voice. He says, space travel. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell how many times I've heard you tell that story. I love that story. I think I could tell it. Next time, let me try to tell it. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> so, so why are we talking about James Hansen? Well, okay, so he's now uh, no longer at NASA, but he's uh, he's moved on, and he's um, he published a report, which is uh, yet, to, even though he did it, produced it with sixteen other research scientists who are uh, very well accredited, is not yet peer reviewed. He published in the Open Access Journal Atmospheric Chemistry and Physics, and the point of this journal is not to skip peer review, but the idea is that they want. Uh, peer review to happen in public so you know we can have an argument about whether or not that's a good idea but that's that's the intention so it's not yet peer-reviewed but it's not trying to avoid being peer-reviewed that's it's intentionally sort of doing it that way to generate discussion among scientists and what he's essentially talking about is that the the idea that you know we could be dealing with like catastrophic and that's a sort of a vague term so we're gonna i'm gonna be very specific about what i mean by catastrophic in a second uh catastrophic climate change is is very likely according to him and his report and his peers uh to happen uh over a time scale of 50 to 100 years not centuries so a lot of time we're talking about is you know we'll get will increasingly have you know serious problems over the next 50 to 100 years and then somewhere in the 100 year to 150 to 200 year time scale it's you know if we keep going that long then we'll get some really nasty stuff happening um and he says no him and his peers say no uh so what do we mean by catastrophic 
a, a drastic uptick in uh, powerful storms, the intensity of the storms, the frequency of the storms, several meter sea level rise. Now, I did a quick Google search here because I wanted to do so. That what they're saying essentially was that, um, you know, by 2100, if we if we continue on the current course that we have, and he, he's including like with this is a very recent report uh, or a, a recent draft version of the report that was released uh, later last year and has since been updated as well. Um, that, you know, dealing with, you know, some of the, not the most recent sort of climate stuff, but some very up to the you know, very current, not the most current, but very current, um, you know, policy incentives and stuff like that and whatever, um, that this could mean that essentially pretty much all coastal cities will be uninhabitable. And by uninhabitable, we don't mean the weather will be bad. We mean literally underwater. Uh, by 2100. Now, I did a quick Google search here to find out, okay, so how many cities are we talking about? Uh, in the U.S. alone, 44% of Americans live in coastal areas. So imagine nearly half of the American public loses their homes. Yeah, by 2100. That's what we're talking about. Now, I should be clear before I pass it back to Stefan for a comment. I want to be clear about one other thing. Uh, several other prominent climate scientists have said, have come out and, uh, and called, uh, uh, basically cried foul, not saying that the, the research is, is wholly wrong, but saying they, they would sort of dial back some of these claims. Uh, and included in that is the also very famous, mostly because he was uh, the central, one of the central points of attack, uh, you know, along with Al Gore, uh, the producer of the quote-unquote hockey stiff graph, uh, Michael Mann, uh, who, who you know, called some of, some of the claims extraordinary um, as well. So he's, re- he's sort of disputing some of the claims in the report. Uh, again, it's not based on contradictory research. He's just sort of read, reading through the research and saying, I'm not sure I totally agree with all your conclusions here. But he also was very clear at the same time and, and in the same sentence in a way to essentially make sure, like, don't take that comment out of context. Mm-hmm. What he's saying was a, another quote which he put in there which said, look, at the end of the day, uh, I, quote, I think we ignore James Hansen at our peril. Hmm. So back to you, Stephen. Yeah, and I think the theme of the show is quickly becoming nuance. Mm-hmm. Mm, nuance. Uh, nuance. Is, I might call the show nuance. We'll see how amazing. It uh, because because I, I think that that tension between Hansen sort of being like this is what could happen and is very scary, and then and then the scientists sort of being like, but it's probably a little less scary than that. Uh, comes from this point of everyone everyone being on the same page, generally understanding a lot of the sort of stuff, and then differentiating on the numbers. And I think when we go to the vegan uh, discussion after the break, I, I want to show just sort of how how commonly the numbers can vary, specific, and, and like you know from like percentage points can j- go jump up and down uh, by a decent percentage uh, wh- by who you ask or what studies done or, or how you do these different things. I think that's the thing about science is so commonly it ends up with a range uh, because it's you can't get these exact numbers uh, or you can't know ex- things exactly. And then people take that range as if it means nothing. Yeah. Rather than rather than understanding that no no that range is is factual yes we don't we can't say it's people think like if you have a hard number then that's right but in reality the the range is the, it definitely will fall within this range yeah. right and 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 that's and so I think the and the conversations so commonly end up coming about well okay you know some people say it's higher range we will pull it down to the bottom end of that conversation and then people take that dis- that discussion in within the range as if none of it hasn't knows knows what they're talking about right uh, whereas mo- much much more commonly and well they, this is how science works um is that they've that that's the you know that's the that's the that's the factual error that's the standard deviation like there's a whole bunch of scientific terms for exactly to understanding error uh, within within graphs and polling and stuff like that which is at least now with with larger data stuff like 538 and, uh, and other stuff like that people are coming more and more actually understand at least some terms of data, uh, which is great and sort of helpful for science literacy everywhere. Uh, but 
well, the point here is this: that I think people see this discussion that we're, we'll be having the next thing about you know about climate change versus versus sort of not climate change versus veganism, but vegans and climate the change intersection. The intersection between veganism and climate change uh, comes down to that interesting the dialogue within these within these ranges, mm. uh, and then the outside people who just don't necessarily agree at all see that dialogue within the ranges and is like, well, they don't know what they're talking about; they're arguing with each other. Right. Uh, whereas, like. That's as opposed to realizing that that's what honest people do. Exactly right. It, it, once you want, if you accept, if you accept that you don't know exactly what you're talking about, you you, you can get within that range, and that's really the conversation that we need to be having: is what happens within this range of reality, uh, rather than just the people out here who just aren't even aren't even addressing facts at all. Yeah. Well, and I think it comes down to there's a couple things. So I was going to mix in a there's a GE salmon story too, um, which uh, hopefully we'll, I'm going to maybe try and mix it into our, our after the break conversation because we're going to go to break here now. But I want to just want to make one comment on that because I think I, I like where you're going with that, Stefan. So one of the things when we're talking about uh, numbers and talking about um, you know science and and people you know who are using you know quotes or quote mining uh, climate scientists to come out and say, well, see, look at this sentence or look at oh, I found an email that has this you know half sentence in it that seems to imply this thing, is that. There, there's, I'm going to make a couple of metaphors here because I can't not because mm-hmm. it's me. Um, so I'm currently doing uh, uh, essentially, you know, running the kitchen uh, at the CSI Cafe, which yes. is great. So I, I have a culinary degree. I used to cook for many years and I got out of it for a long time and now I'm, I'm back in. So I'm doing a lot more cooking. So cooking's on my mind. And one of the things that, you know, people will come, will come up to is like, uh, so a good metaphor would be like a recipe, right? Mm-hmm. Half a cup of cream, pinch of salt. Some of these terms are inherently subjective. So a pinch, what's a pinch? Right. How big are your hands? Uh, the other, th- yeah. Are they so, Donald Trump hands or are they no regular sized hands? <laughs> you had to get that in there. <laughs> uh, the other thing would be is like, okay, well, someone is like, you know, so I went and I followed this recipe exactly, right? So they got out a laser level and got an exact, like a, you know, a, a NASA level accuracy measuring cup in a, to a third. And they used a laser level and they follow it precisely. And they're like, aha, I made it and it didn't taste the same as yours. So therefore your, your recipe is incorrect. You mm-hmm. lied about your recipe when you told me how you made that dish. You lied. Okay. Well, the thing is, in reality, when we're operating in a, when we're having a hypothetical discussion in a in a conceptual space, you can talk about those numbers. When you're talking about it in reality, unfortunately, life's a little bit more complicated than that, right? So things like the atmospheric pressure. If you're cooking the recipe on the top of the Appalachian Mountains, and I'm cooking it, uh, you know, uh, down in the Caribbean on an island. Uh, the atmospheric pressure, the relative humidity, all these things are going to play into effect. Uh, the uh, rate at which you pour in a liquid into another liquid is going to affect this effect. The the precise temperature of the heat element, no, you could say eight, 450 degrees, but different ovens are have different internal settings. So we might set it to 400, mm-hmm. but it might be 403, right? There's a million things that might make this accuracy. And so you, when you're at least, when you're even going to have a discussion about something like that involves a lot of numbers and a lot of, and more importantly, involves a lot of variables, you have to accept before you even start talking that there's a range of error and that if you say something is one and it actually ends up being 1.1 that doesn't mean you're wrong that means that we that we have to accept from the get-go that there's always an error bar always there is not a single number someone is going to come up with with, right. with that hypothetical mm-hmm. exception there are no numbers when we're talking about complex systems that are 100 accurate there's always an error bar and mm-hmm. i think that's where we'll leave it before we go to our music break so we're going to go to alex uh who is here and is going to jump in and tell us what our wonderful first music break is going to be what's going on buddy thanks darren uh today first of all we're going to hear from uh vancouver psychedelic band black mountain they're celebrating the release of their new album And uh, this is a song called Florian Saucer Attack. Here it is. (laughs) 
All right, now we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5, our wonderful community radio partners, Rabble.ca, or on The Green Majority's own podcast with the extended podcast version of the bonus show after the show. Uh, we appreciate all of our syndication partners very much for carrying us now going on almost 10 years, which is a great spot for me to just do a quick promo as well that we have our on Earth Day, 500th episode. We're having a quick celebration over at the Center for Social Innovation. It's just three hours. It's very short. You can come just say hi to some of the hosts and some of the other listeners of the show. It is open to all, and you can uh, find a place to get more information about that at greenmajority.ca. We would love to see you just coming down. Even if you have like half an hour and you can just pop in and say hi, we'd love to see you. Please do. Uh, so with that, I'm going to do a quick, uh, quick brief introduction here to the issue uh, that we want to talk about today, which was the essentially the intersection of veganism and climate, uh, where we agree, which is just to start on the start on a basis here, because we're, we're going to go in essentially, we're, we're essentially immediately as soon as I go to Stephanie, we're immediately going to start criticizing some of the things that we hear from vegans and we hear from vegan sites. So I want to just start the prefacing on a position and then we'll reiterate this at the end. <laughs> so nobody misses our point. here. It's, like, it's, a, it's a common sandwich. Re- exactly. It's a common sandwich. So I'll be the bread mostly and Stefan might be some of the Meat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, all all kidding aside, so uh, there's some things that are absolutely true, and we want to start with that. And I'm going to sort of base out some some absolute truths here uh, before we move into some of the criticism here, because I think that you know some people think this is splitting hairs. uh, What we're going to get to, we'll get to why we don't agree that it's hair splitting and why we think these are actually important in a minute. Uh, There are also some people that are just straight up misinformed, and their heart is in the right place, and they're and they're mostly true what they're saying, but the parts where they're not true it, we don't agree it's hair splitting we think it actually matters and we're going to outline why we think it matters and and make some suggestions as we th- what we think we could say instead but before we even get to that the basic comment is eating meat generally a really bad quote-unquote thing to do for the climate absolutely unequivocally yes that is indisputable factually accurate true and i don't know what other positive affirmation i could say absolutely factually true generally speaking Meat has a very strong correlation to negative climate impacts. Absolutely true. In most cases, in most places, at most times, that is absolutely true. Another absolute truth. Beef is probably the single worst thing an individual can do to exacerbate climate change. Other than maybe a two-hour drive from the suburbs. Sure, but as far as, as, as far as like a single action. Right. A single action right. you might choose to do, a, a single decision, right? And so this is where we'll get into in a minute. Maybe this will be where I pass it to Stefan for comment. Would be that, you know, if you live out of town and you have a job downtown, there's not really a lot you can do about your drive. You could maybe, you know, lobby right. for Right, you don't have as much options. Fair enough. Whatever. Yeah. But as far as like a daily decision, a single choice that you can easily make, I could eat beef or not eat beef, not eating beef, any of the other options, pretty much any of the other options you could choose is exponentially better. So a number to start us right off here that is definitely true. And, and it's, this is, again, remember what we said a minute ago before the break here this number is fuzzy because there's a lot of variables at play and it will vary depending on a lot of things but generally speaking it is it is considered to be true that eating beef versus even just eating chicken is an uh, order of magnitude an exponent or otherwise known as a decimal place or a 10 times uh worse than eating chicken so for every hamburger you had if you had a chicken burger instead all else being equal, it is 10 times more climate intensive. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where we want to start. And we wanted to start off on a, on a pace of really strong agreement here, which is that generally speaking, the generally speaking here, and that's where we're <laughs> going to get to what we mean by generally in a minute here, but generally speaking, the more vegans there are, the better. And if we had more vegans, it would be better in most cases, most of the time. Now, where does the in most cases, most of the time come from? I'm going to, I'm going to now pass it off to Stefan to get into some of that. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to go through 
sort of the a bunch of numbers that you sort of hear because again the part of the we're trying to point we're trying to make is just how fuzzy the percentage of emissions coming from agriculture or even just agriculture or then meat consumption as a subsidy of that uh, are because that's because some of that's that's part of the arguments being made here mm-hmm. uh, a big part of the argument is being made here uh, and so I've I've just pulled out I sort of I pulled out five different examples just as just as a as a, as a fun little range of of things that have happened over the last five years and keep in mind part of the, the big reason why these numbers vary so much is it all depends on what you're including. Uh, so if you include, if you say, if it's just upstream and it's not transportation to you, a transportation person, then that's that's why it's probably a lower number. If it's a higher number, it probably has to do with land use and stuff like that. Uh, and so let's just, but without, without further ado, let me get to the numbers first. Uh, so the World Resources Institute uh, uh, says in, the, in 2000. 13% of total greenhouse gas global emissions uh, are, f- are made by farms generally, so agriculture. Uh, the EPA in just America... Which, just to be clear, we, I want to make sure we're really clear about this, too. That is general agriculture, not meat production. Exactly. Exclusively. That's agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, the EPA b- believes that only that 9% uh, of you know, uh, that agriculture accounts for 9% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Again, in part why that number is even lower, I believe, is that a lot of the more carbon-intensive agriculture ends up being exported off of off out of, out of the United States. Uh, for example, some of the most carbon-intensive, uh, which is a big argument by by the by the vegan comedian, um, it is is the is the yeah, land use, especially in rainforest areas, and the destruction of of rainforests for cattle infrastructure. Uh, which is a ma- which is a massive, which is part of why when you, we later we see some of the higher numbers, that's included in those higher numbers, uh, and that's obviously a massive impact, and that that w- is why beef is so much worse than chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving on, uh, nature. Uh, seems to believe that uh, the global food system from fertilizer manufacture to food storage and packaging is responsible for up to one-third of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. And I, I said that full sentence mainly because I want to come back to the idea of fertilizer later, because uh, there's a whole thing about fertilizer that, I, that, that uh, sort of ties into this whole conversation about food systems generally. Uh, the David Suzuki Foundation cites uh, the United Nations of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, so FAO, and has something that livestock production is responsible for 18% of greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another a much higher number, uh, but that's livestock specifically this time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, that, and that shows what we were talking about, about that scale up, right? yeah. about the difference between just food production and meat production. That, dif- that difference is the in- increased intensity on average of the meat versus just food. Yeah, and, 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 and I think in, in livestock here especially, I think also then includes uh, a whole bunch of other pieces of it, right? Livestock includes growing the, the food to the other livestock. So it's a, it's a full cost accounting of livestock specifically, mm-hmm. uh, which has a whole, which has, which is, Get, get expensive that number, and, and just to sort of just to be clear about why we're saying what we're saying as we're moving along here, I want to I want to just sort mm-hmm. of clarify again sure. something that St- uh, Stefan just said there as well is that so when we're looking at that eighteen percent number now uh, now more recent studies have actually pegged that a, a reassessment uh, very recently and again every link we're citing here we're going to put in the show post so if you question where we're getting out of this information uh, please check the show post it will all be cited and if you want to dispute the source is fine do that later but for now hear us out. The number has been reassessed to be 14.5% instead of 18%. That's a more recent, considered to be, uh, that's a UN study number, and it's been downgraded. Mm. Uh, but what we're talking about here, so when we're talking about it, so people say, well, okay, you know, meat production is responsible for this much climate change, uh, this much climate emission, uh, carbon emissions, uh, therefore switch to a vegan diet. Well, it's, you're, you're sort of, you're not. What you're not being clear about is that the alternative also has carbon emissions. And so the only useful number to talk about there that is sort of accurate, 
not in the sense that it's not true, but it's it's accurate to the point you're trying to mm-hmm. make, is that you need to talk about the difference, not the, just the total of one. Right. And say that, okay, so therefore, if you stopped eating meat, carbon is, emissions uh, would go down by 18% or 14, 5% or whatever number you want to use, because that isn't true. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and to, to build on that, uh, actually, to go back to sort of some props uh, to the sort of the vegetarian uh, and vegan movements, uh, is that I think part of the reason you could cite for why it's gone from 18% down to 14%, again, these are sort of estimations, and there's a whole bunch of other reasons why they could explain this as well. But yeah, part of the reason is that, one. yeah, C part one, exactly, uh, is that meat consumption is actually decreasing. Mm. Uh, and, and and so that fact alone is like what's funny about that is that fact alone almost will sort of work against to some extent the 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 vegan movement because if they're if as they succeed their scary numbers get less scary because mm. they're succeeding and at it, reducing con- meat consumption which is which is a great place and this is sort of, sort of really hectic because Stefan and I have so, I mean we could spend three hours talking about this so I'm, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to jump things in really quickly here but another interesting thing is that you know when we talk about global usage you know going down but in certain areas it's skyrocketing right so in certain developing nations meat consumption is skyrocketing and in certain uh, developing nations with intensely large populations it's skyrocketing so china india right meat consumption there is going way up uh and so these numbers are all in flux they're very complicated so the reason i wanted to interject with that was that one of the things here that we want to point out was that and we're gonna we're gonna talk specifically about the movie cowspiracy in a minute Mm. uh and so one of the numbers from that uh, was one of the problems with some of the numbers that are thrown around in the movie with Cowspiracy here, and I'll, I'll link to some to a really excellent blog article that really breaks down. And they're still, again, they're like us. They're still largely in agreement about the conclusions about what the best thing to do for the climate is. Mm-hmm. But they really take, I think, a very fair and honest sort of breakdown of some of the problems with some of the numbers, as well as that you cannot apply global numbers. And this is your thing when having mm-hmm. to do with like, you know, uh, the, the youth born today are the first to experience global temperature. No youth experiences global temperature. Yeah. It's, this, is the, this is the same problem. You can't take a global number and apply it to individuals by definition. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work because the global number is an average. Right. And so if you try and say, okay, well, globally it's this, so therefore you know that any sentence that includes that format is is flawed at a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So to get to the last uh, the last number that we sort of – again, we, we, so we've flown through all these different numbers and I'll, I'll sort of recap them at the end of this just to show the wide range of, of different – way percentages that that different studies have pulled out uh, is from the united nations environment program uh which in about in which is 2000 uh early early 2000s uh so not so the late 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 early 2000s in the millennial sense uh but more like 2008 9 and 12 are the three three times cited in this in a sentence um was recent estimates concerning animal egg culture's share of total gh greenhouse gas emissions range mainly between 10 to 25 percent so again 10 to 25 percent that is a massive range. Um, a, 50 per, a 15% error bar is significant. Yeah. Uh, where, again, the higher figure includes, and this is, this is right, where, again, the higher figure includes the effects of deforestation and other land use changes, and the lower one does not. So that's, that's the number difference. So if you hear someone say 10%, they're probably not including deforestation, which is important. But if you hear someone say 25%, uh, as if that was just meat and not land use changes, then they are also being, uh, they're, they're also sort of Factually being, inaccurate. Factually inaccurate, sure. Um, and according according to uh, to another article, Steinfeld et al. If you're very concerned, and McMichael et al. Uh, emissions from livestock constitute, constitute nearly eighty percent of agricultural emissions, agri- agricultural emissions. And again, so that's that's a huge number. Uh, and and that I think is also what really brings in the sort of the, the conspiracy crowd, mm. which is that if you know why, talking about agriculture as a general whole is one thing, but cows specifically are a massive percentage of that. But again, the eighty percent includes all the way we're feeding them, mm. uh, which gets us to sort of this larger point, which which maybe we'll get to after the break, mm. uh, depending on sort of how we talk time works. But the larger point here is that. 
and the part, the part, like I said, I find uh, the, the part that I want to. If I could talk to a talk to a vegan the most, uh, the one part are not sort of vegan absolutionist because uh, yes. again there, there are plenty of people who are just vegans because they think it's better and they're right. Most, uh, people, way to most go. people, unless you're a really hardcore listener of the show, don't know would never know that Kevin was a vegan because exactly. he never brought it up unless the topic was food. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so obviously we don't mean all vegans. We we mean that we mean the people that tend to come up and like sort of harass us in the street. Yeah, well, well, there's a, and that so, may be a very small percentage, but it definitely happens. All yeah. The time. So if you ever feel uh, it was interesting about this, I'll, I'll, I, I was. Trying to, I was wondering whether I had a chance to me- briefly tell the story. So I'll briefly tell the story, which is that uh, Cam Fenton wrote an article about six months ago now after after one of the after one of the protests in Ottawa, uh, which was basically bashing vegans. Uh, it was it was inc- like we thought we were flippant. He is just. This article is this is, is 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 dickish without question. That that actually really well fits into part two. So why, let's save okay, let's great. save the details on that for for after. The okay, break. okay. So, so let me just so the the one part I want to mention. So we'll get to that and ha- we'll get well that story will lead into the rest of the thing. But what I want to talk about and we'll get which we'll also talk after the break is the idea that. Uh, the agriculture system and the farming system is so broken in so many ways uh, that just stopping eating meat will not fix mo- so many of the other problems. Uh, and so, you, so I'm so much more likely, uh, and uh, like food advocates across the world and, and food security folks, what they're interested in is, f- is solving the broken system and n- not just not eating meat anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why when I two times ago, which, which was jumped to do first and foremost, was saying that a lot of vegans are just basically for are do it for more reasons against animals um the reason why i said that is because that's the one thing that we're not talking about just here at all is that we can, we'll spend the next 40 minutes and we'll, we'll spend this entire 40 minutes that we're spending talking about veganism and not even address the animal cruelty element of, the, of all this conversation because that's not what we're talking about right now but there's but the, that absolutionist view is, is outside of the climate conversation yeah i think it's it's the same reason why you know and i think a lot of people that might be a, be a pain point for some people but we we don't talk about the animal to animal cruelty aspect for the same reason that we don't generally talk about other important issues like black lives matter for instance on the show is because it's it doesn't just because we the, the show is not a list of the most important things that are required for society to talk about the show is about the most important things within the environment hub and and someone may disagree our listeners may disagree but between at least Stefan and i and we're the only two in the studio today so we're the only people whose opinions count today uh for now uh is is that <laughs> in, our, in, a, in our mutual opinion uh that is outside of the environment conversation that doesn't mean it's not important, but that's why we don't tend to talk about it. Because in our opinion, that is a separate issue than the environment, or at least I would say it's outside of the climate conversation. Because I think definitely uh, outside of the climate. Yeah, because I believe I, I believe a, a lot of justice conversations must tie into uh, must tie into environmentalism. Uh, but I think that uh, there's a climate conversation happening right now, and then there's also a justice conversation happening right now, both with both with you know with with sort of human centered justice issues, which are obviously incredibly important, and also sort of moral animal justice issues and, and earth justice issues. All three of which are very, very important. Uh, but if you're talking about what's going to reduce the most climate change right now, that, like if we're, if we're carbon counting, which is literally what we're doing in this discussion, uh, those three conversations uh, may impact it in some way and may be useful conversations to have, but are not, you know, you're not going to, like, reducing a animal animal cruelty will not reduce carbon right now. Right. Uh, you know, you can, if you can, you can ethically kill all of the, you can, you can like, be much nicer at killing all of the animals, uh, and that won't necessarily reduce the carbon that they that they that they had when they were alive yeah and i think sorry just to get me to roll back and we're going to go to break now and we'll come back this so two things one i want to clarify something i just said and then we'll, we'll what 
we're going to address in, this, mm-hmm. in an, after the break. We're going to go to a break in a second. Um, so, and you know, so I want to walk back what I said about that conversation is entirely outside of. Of course, it isn't because in reality, like what we're talking about, and part of the whole reason about why I like doing the show and why it's so interesting to do the show is that you know we take a very wide scope on the environment. And part of the thing that which Stefan and I both said repeatedly, minus the comment I made a minute ago, <laughs> which I'm currently walking back, uh, is the idea that these issues all blur together. Right? There's no clean way to separate them. The reason why I think on this show we we discount some of those things was when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about a problem that is going to potentially, you know, worst case scenario has, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, wipe out, you know, the ability for a sustainable human. And by sustainable human, I mean, like, you know, billions dead, half of the world's cities underwater. Animal cruelty is not on a time frame, a ticking time bomb that's going to lead to the destruction of civilization. And that doesn't mean it's not important, but it does mean that as far as I'm concerned, and Stefan can speak for himself, it's not nearly as much of a priority as climate change. And because of that, uh, that's why that's why I at least have drawn that line there. So now just, let's just sort of I'm going to say one more thing and we'll lead into the final section. So a lot of people are going to probably think and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, OK, well, great. Fantastic. You guys have just spent 20 minutes splitting hairs. So what? Uh, so the final section is going to be about why we think these hairs are worth splitting. Uh, and, but I'm going to give one more number again, uh, but just before we go to the break about that, which is the one that I hear the most often from the people. And again, this is when we talk about um, a lot of time when we're saying the word vegan, we're not actually talking about all vegans because what we're generally mean that as a shorthand for is the one that come up and engage with us publicly at public events or generally email us or, you know, generally all these are generalities, uh, but sort of the most vocal ones that we interact with. So this is the, mo- the majority of our experience. It of course does not necessarily apply. We have no way of knowing it if it applies to the, the general vegan or vegetarian community in general we have no way of knowing that we're 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 addressing the concerns of the people we hear from Mm. um and the final one before we go to break now will be another big number that i've heard so many people say uh from cowspiracy which is the 51 percent number and that 51 percent number i've got another article here i'm going to link to which really breaks that number down but i really just if i can ask one thing of our uh our vegan allies here uh is to please never ever use that number again (laughs) And the reason is, is because not because, again, this is what comes back to nuance again, is that that number, depending on the conversation you're using, can be accurate. Now, there's a few problems with how that number was calculated. We're not even going to get into that because that's just more hair splitting. And I think we've covered the idea of hair splitting and, and the idea that a lot of these things are fuzzy. The reason I never want to hear a vegan say that 51% number to me again is because they're generally saying it to me knowing that I'm someone who is active on climate. And that number includes all sorts of other things like transportation right so what you're essentially doing and and again this is not all vegans but the ones that we tend to hear from will saying you know you should talk more about it because this is worth more than the thing you're talking about but no because that 51 percent number includes a bunch of stuff that i'm talking about and you're and you're at best tacking on some percent to that so it 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 cannot be it can be used in certain conversations as an accurate description of the impact of the meat industry but it cannot ever be used as a counter to uh, as a part of an argument to say that if you're not a vegan, you're not a real climate activist, uh, because that's just false. And please never don't email me saying that <laughs> I don't I'm, if I get an email or trying to argue that point, I'm just going to ignore it. It's just wrong. Unless and unless you're talking about it within very specific confines. But if you're talent, talking to a climate person and saying that number says, you know, because of that number, you're a bad activist. If you're not a vegan, I'm sorry, I'm just going to ignore you. Uh, so with that, we're going to come back. We're going to take another break. We'll go to Alex again to hear from me. Bruce what we're going to talk about when we come back is we just spend a whole bunch of time splitting hairs. We're going to talk about why we think these hairs matter right after the break. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5, our wonderful radio community partners, our podcast audience, and of course, rebel.ca as well. Thank you to all of our audience 
audience. We'll be right back after this music break presented by Alex. Thanks, Darren. And uh, I didn't happen to catch what that 51% number meant. So maybe uh, for our listeners as well, you'd like to clarify Oh, sure. That? Yeah, sorry. It's just uh, it, it's a number that came directly. It, it's a number that got very popularized among uh, quote-unquote climate vegans uh, as to the impact of uh, you know, meat in general. Uh, uh, Stefan well, wants to jump in. Well, then the number exactly from Kalikowski's website is that livestock and their byproducts account for 32,000 million tons. I don't know why they didn't just say billion uh, of carbon dioxide, CO2 per year, or 51% of all world, world, worldwide gas emissions. So that's the claim that is made uh, in the movie Cowspiracy. And it, it's made in the context of, so therefore, if you become a vegan, you're then going to reduce car- carbon emissions by 51%. And that's just false. Okay. Thanks for clearing <laughs> that up. Um, so we're going to head to the East Coast and hear from uh, a band called Winter Sleep. This is uh, from one of my favorite albums uh, in rotation right now, The Great Detachment. This is a song called Spirit. Check it out. All right. We're coming back here on the Green Majority at CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community partners, Rabble.ca, and of course, the Green Majority's own extended podcast version. I should also take a moment to note that uh, Monday, April 11th through Sunday, April 17th is the CIUT Spring Fall Membership Drive. Spring Fall. (laughs) Spring Membership Drive. Uh, Start saving those pennies and loonies and uh, uh, crisp up that checkbook. Mm. CIUT will need your support very shortly, so maybe if you're going for an extra vegan non-fat latte today... (laughs) Maybe get a small and not a large and put that 50 cents away for the fall fundraiser. Fall into spring. Fall into spring. Why don't you say fall? (laughs) I'm just, I'm confused this morning. Uh, But stay tuned for that. So that'll be, uh, if I'm doing my head math quickly, that's not next week. That's the week after next week. Uh, Please stay tuned for that. And uh, we will very much need your support to help uh, continue to bring excellent discussions like this. Even if you disagree with us, I think this, I think you'll agree that this conversation is important and we can only have it because of the good graces of CIUT and and, uh, what we get completely free for them to come in and, and promote our point of view whether yeah. or not you agree with that uh, <laughs> i think you'll agree that that conversation is important uh so please uh, as i said we'll leave it there but please uh put some money aside maybe uh maybe get the smallest of the large today S- spare the change for us and uh, we'll be asking you for some donations in a couple of weeks but with that i'm going to actually pass it back to stefan now to open the, essentially just to just to open it and then i'll throw to stefan would be the idea so uh, as i said we just spent a whole bunch of time splitting hairs the reaction from a lot of people is going to be, okay, well, so what? You know, it's it's still worse. You know, even we're saying, okay, it was 18% or 14, 5%. Transportation is still 13%, regardless of which of those two numbers you want to go to. So isn't eating meat, isn't not eating meat still not more important than, as far as impact, than uh, trying to get off oil? Um, and, you know, so therefore, I, I don't really think anyone's saying, you know, so forget about oil. Let's only focus on not eating meat. But I think the argument there is, so why do you guys talk about oil so much more and almost never talk about eating meat? Mm. And I think that's a fair point. And first of all, that's why we're talking about it today. And thank you for the people that wrote in because you caused us to talk about it today. And, and it, was, it was useful and helpful to get the reminder to do that because it is important. And, and you're right. We don't talk about it as much as, as we should, especially when that number is, in fact, higher, mm. even if it's only a little higher and not nearly as high as some people say it is. It is higher. And that's true. So why does this hair splitting matter? Why do we talk about oil more than we talk about eating meat? Uh, why, why, did the, why is this an issue at all? We're going to start with Stefan. Yeah, so we're, I'm going to start mostly with why uh, our reaction was so flippant in the first place. Uh, because of some history here, I think, is important. And the history is this sort of ongoing, um, I'll say tension, uh, like uh, w- between sort of climate activists and vegan activists. Uh, because it, what's interesting about this is that organi- was, uh, organizers are 
sort of inherently big tent people. Organizers need everyone in to everyone they can get to convince them to join them side to join their side to join their side. Um, and so when you see a sort of split amongst organizers, um, then you that's then the question becomes why. Right. Uh, you know, because so Cam Fenton is a, is a big climate change organizer. Uh, and so he wrote this article that basically called out maybe, you know, 25 to 30 percent even uh, of of his uh, of people who had attended the rallies he'd been organizing, uh, which is which is a confusing move, unquestionably. Uh, and so and so the, but the answer was the question is why. Right. And the answer, the reason that is that consistently time after time after time, uh, he was experiencing this time where moment where uh, vegans would sort of bring them bring their issues to the front at a climate march. And so it'd be, it'd be a climate march that would suddenly become a also now a vegan march because there'd be a cow running around the front of the front of the march. And sort of this one time in October, uh, he just sort of he got sick of it uh, and then sort of the scathing piece, which just absolutely blew up. Uh, it was it was a whole thing. And if you want to read it, we'll link it out of the show. Uh, show post. It, but was, I think, it was incendiary regardless of whether or not you agree with him. Exactly. I think I think he it, it was so incendiary that about four or five hours later, he wrote another article just titled that escalated quickly. Uh, <laughs> that is how quickly this escalated. Uh, but uh, the point really is that it's been this where we were coming from is sort of this ongoing history of knowledge of the sort of tension that exists between these two, two camps. And, and the fact that Cowspiracy quite literally actually accuses 350 of being a part of a, con- a conspiracy to help cows. Like there's there, there's it's it, to some not to say like you guys started it, but like that's part of this whole conversation. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, one of the things I wrote in response to one of the people that emailed us was that I mean, I have literally seen myself, and I've also read accounts of people. You know, a lot of the time, and it's something I really like is is climate organizers, uh, or it's sort of a new thing, like new is in the last few years, but organizing rallies uh, and marches in order of effectiveness, right? Mm-hmm. So frontline communities go first, and and we I, one of the other emails I clarified was what we mean by frontline. And frontline doesn't mean a frontline. A frontline activist doesn't isn't or a frontline community isn't a community who's on the forefront of the issue. Mm. Frontline community means those those first impacted. Yeah. And so what we had is you know uh, uh, poverty related groups, First Nations groups, uh, all these sorts of people, the people that are going to get small island states, the the folks who are going to receive the brunt of the negative impacts are first or and are I've, currently experiencing or are currently experiencing. And what I've seen and where some of this comes from, I've literally seen it. I've read many reports and talked to many people who have seen this happen in other places. Is folks come in. Uh, who again? And I'm just talking about what I've seen. I'm not saying this is always the case, uh, but a bunch of middle class white people who are dressed in vegan stuff go up and be like, "No, no, no! Our thing is more important," and have the audacity to refuse to go in their designated part in the parade and say, "No, we march first because our issue is the most important," and and be so unbelievably rude and and just completely out to lunch and ignorant as to like literally stand in front of First Nations people saying, "No, hold on a second, we get to talk first. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but that's inexcusable. Yeah, and so so. So I think the really, really we are now we're down to five minutes. So I want to go ahead and point this out. We need you, vegans. We yes. need you desperately. We need you, and generally speaking, we like you. Yes, exactly. Uh, and and I think this. The, 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 like, uh, Darren will explain sort of why this. Darren will close with this explanation of 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 why we need you, but we or not know why we need you, but why we need you to maybe slightly shift your messaging to help us out just a little bit more. Right. Uh, because unquestionably, the vegetarian and veganism movement has been a powerful getting people to switch off meat, uh, which is which helps with climate and b is has been a, a, an effective sort of um 
culture shift. They, it, it's a, it's, it, meat consumption is going down because in part of these efforts. Uh, so by all means, uh, we need you to we need to get off meat uh, in, in in many many ways. Uh, and so your efforts are incredibly important. Uh, but Darren will sort of close with why we think maybe you could shift your message slightly to be even more impactful. Okay. So Stefan, you started at the very beginning by saying something which I think many listeners may have picked up on, which was you were saying, "Aha! The divest movement asked for full divestment. Uh, they didn't get it, but they got partial divestment, and they moved the block. So therefore, aha! See, it was good for activists to ask for this like total complete move because it got better than zero. And isn't that progress? And you just finished saying that. And I'm sure a couple, at least a couple of our listeners, heard that and went, "Aha! Now you're going to contradict yourself and say that you shouldn't ask for absolute." Here's the difference. Mm-hmm. The difference is is that when we're talking about institutional change, when we're talking about giant economic systems, when we're talking about systemic change, there's two ways you can go about it. You can go around and ask people, hey, stop driving your car, or you can go and pass a carbon tax. One of them requires you to age to spend more effort because you have to go person by person and spread it person by person. And you're asking people to make a personal change in their life, which maybe certain people are going to be more and less reticent to do that. Um, But also it takes longer. And so here's the thing. I mean, if we're talking about, okay, 14.5% from meat production and 13% from transportation, if you pass a carbon tax, we kill both of those things in one go. And guess what we didn't have to do? We didn't have to go and ask people to change their personal habits. Please, please, please change your diet, which is something very personal and something very having to do with people's lifestyle and their day and their culture and all these other things. It's a hard argument. It's an uphill battle. What we're talking about is let's not waste our time asking individuals to make personal choices when we can go and force them to make that change systemically. It's a matter of tactics and it's a matter of effectiveness. And because we're on an extremely constricted timeline with an extremely high error bar, if we get it wrong, like wiping out half of the ability to have the US, I think we need to be focusing on the most effective tactics. So what I do want is for anyone who's interested in veganism, anyone who's interested in food issues, please do. You are welcome. You are you are loved. You are we're open arms. We want you as part of our movement. What we're not a fan of is the idea of people who would like to go around and say, you know what, you are ninety eight percent meat free. You know what you really need to do? Cut out that two percent because you know what? There's a lot more of is people who are one hundred percent meat. And the and this is the concept of low hanging fruit. There's a there's a there's a graph. The amount of effort is not static. It's there's a graph to it, right? Low hanging fruit. There's easy things you can make. There's easy switch outs. You can switch from beef to chicken. You can ask people, hey, every time you want to eat a hamburger, get a chicken burger. Every time you're going to have a chicken burger, have a bean burger. Every time you're going to have a bean burger, there's a scale of impact. And what you can ask people to do is to make a conscious choice to scale their decisions down one tier. You know, instead of having it one hamburger, three chicken burgers, and whatever, you can have two chicken burgers, three vegan burgers, whatever, right? Right? Mm. There's a scale down. That's easy to do. You can get people to do that pretty quickly, especially when you compare it with all this completely valid climate argument. That last 2% is not only the hardest 2%, but you're, when you come in and saying you're 100% with me or you're against me, which is just whether they mean to or not, that's how a lot of these arguments come across, you're going to inspire resistance. And you're instead of sort of arguing with people who largely agree with you about the 2% that arguably is irrelevant compared to the 98% we can get that other guy to go change, I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. I was so just, again, don't, let me yeah. not be misquoted. Right. It's not a waste of time to have the conversation. It's a waste of time to argue about that 2%. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are at 59 really fast. We got uh, I was going to say that last 2% is your grandmother's meatloaf. Right. And that's why you're going to keep eating it. All right. So uh, we're out of time for the live radio show. Uh, Sabina, I pulled her in here to talk about the bonus show. We didn't even have time. We're done for the thing. So uh, we will come back. We might finish up this conversation a little bit in the bonus show. So if you think we didn't address something, we'll be right back. But that's it for the Green Majority this week. Thank you for listening and have a good Green Week, folks. We love you, vegans.
All right, and that was the end of the regular show. We obviously have a lot more we wanted to say, and unfortunately, at the very end of the bonus show, the recorder actually we were using actually died, unfortunately. Great reason to support us if you can. If you've got a few bucks a month, you can spare at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash greenmajority, uh, or at the How You Can Help button at greenmajority.ca. Um, but... We try, so we try to write a really comprehensive show post as well to go along with this. Still, there's really no way for us to sort of entirely encapsulate this issue. We gave it our best shot. Uh, if someone is still uh, sort of wants to make a comment, we'd be happy to talk to a bit about. But uh, essentially, the you know the point of the episode was we agree with you. We just disagree with a couple of things that sort of some people do. Um, but generally, we're all in agreement. So we hope that that's the sort of takeaway you had. Uh, but just to make sure that we didn't uh, sort of miss over a couple of points, we carried the discussion through and pretty much did it, dominated the bonus show right up into the point when the recorder uh, died. So please enjoy that. And then there will actually be one more brief after clip like this one at the very end, just finishing up the thought that Stefan was saying when the recorder got cut off. Uh, without further ado, here's the bonus show, and then I'll be back one more time to finish Stefan's thought. And welcome to the bonus show. After that, we just, I feel like we just talked a mile a minute for about an hour. Uh, so And still ran out of time. And still ran out of time. Uh, so you wanted to finish your thought, Darren. That was your thing. Yes. Okay. So I, I kind of only got to half of my thing there at the end of the show, and I just wanted to sort of wrap it up because I think my argument was incomplete, and I don't think it was very – it was it was as strong as it could have been without the other part of it. So uh, what I was partially talking about was – uh, the idea of, you know, the the 2% and what I mentioned was, you know, there's the 2%, the sort of left and a lot of people. So where this sort of comes down to and where I think this matters was that there is, you know, depending on all the variables, and that's why we started out with all the stuff at the very beginning about these numbers being fuzzy, was that it is actually not just theoretically possible in some extreme situation and pulling some, well, I could manufacture some situation where, you know, that's really, really rare where this would be true, but this is actually... Uh, I think a lot more common than people would think it might be is situations where that last 2% of eating uh, a vegan diet, which will force you to, you know, or eat things from overseas uh, or force you to eat stuff from uh, factory agriculture versus from a small organic farm, for instance, um, or, you know, a number of other small things where that last 2%, say if you're almost nearly meat free, or if you say, if you don't eat, uh, steaks or chicken, but you know you have butter and eggs, right? So vegetarian but not vegan. Uh, that last two percent, actually, depending on the variables, is has a pretty high chance. And I'm going to make up a number here, but, but this is just based on my sort of you know years of reading stuff. But it's it is a made up number. I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. But is that you know there's probably like a 25 percent chance based on just my assessment that that last two percent of you know making you know eliminating that butter or eliminating that one thing or eliminating that one detail just so you can be vegan which by definition means 100 percent meat animal product free won't even eat cheese because you know of the rennet that's in it which is you know an, a material byproduct and that's something like that where the alternative is actually worse for the climate and the 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 comments that we get and the confusion we get is the sort of this thing about absolutism, right? It's the, you need to be 100% meat product free. And the, and the simple fact is, is that in many cases, 99% meat free is actually better than 100% because we're limited to the choices that we have. And that matters. That matters not because of I'm, you know, something where I'm saying where, you know, I'm against being 100% something. It's because that's the argument that's almost exclusively presented is you need to be vegan, which means you need to be 100%. And the statement, 
there's there's a statement I agree with wholeheartedly and I could not be more in support of. And then there's a statement that is just factually wrong and I hate it. It makes me nuts when people say it. The statement which is factually accurate is generally speaking, veganism is an excellent choice you can make which has tremendous impacts on your personal climate impact. The statement which is factually false is – you're a bad climate activist or you're bad for the environment if you are not vegan. That is just false for all the reasons that we went through. And so when we're talking about that, so when we're talking about the fact that veganism isn't necessarily – is definitely better than your average North American diet. In fact, I will make that statement. It is factually – it is 100 <laughs> percent unquestionably. Yeah. unquestionably, undeniably better than a normal North American diet. Is it better than a 98 percent vegetarian? Not necessarily. It depends. It depends on a number of things. And so what I, what I ask, what I, what I beg really, uh, people who are interested in, in the climate impacts of your food choices to do is to adopt an argument that says, you know, these meat choices are really, really bad for the climate. Here's a path towards being better. Because if you go to a bunch of people and you say, agree with me or screw you, the immediate reaction – it's like – here's something – an example I came up with on my way over. If, if Stephanie, if you came to me, my birthday is in August. Mm. And if you said, hey, man, you know, it's your birthday. I didn't get you anything last year, which you didn't. I didn't. I also have never bought you a birthday. Party, <laughs> I'm just saying. But, you know, you didn't give me a birthday. So, so let's say, you know, so this year I didn't get you something last year. So this year I'm going to give you a 100 buck gift card to go spend where, wherever you want. Mm. You're like, man, that's really nice. That would be a reasonable response. Um, or, you know, it might be say, well, you know, you got me a gift card for Swish LA or Red Lobster. <laughs> and I'm actually trying to be a vegetarian. So – you know, I hate to be ungrateful, but if there's a way to return it and get me a gift card for like a Whole Foods or something or what or whatever, that would be reasonable. But if I said, screw you, I want a $100,000 gift card, your response wouldn't be, okay, fine, I'll give you a $200 gift card. It would be, fuck you. <laughs> and that's the psychology component. What is an effective argument? How do you change people's minds? You do it by leading by example, by giving them a path to victory. You can, it's fine to outline an optimal situation, but if you tell them that the optimal situation is the only valid option, your response isn't going to be incremental change. Your response is going to be go to hell and people's ears are going to close even if you're mostly right. Mm -hmm. And that's where my problem is. And the other thing that the other problem is, is that, as I said with the other example, and then we'll, we're going to go to Sabina, who's going to re reflect a little bit on, on some of the things that we said, uh, just throw some comments out at us, is that what is, if, we're, if we really are talking about climate impacts, the most effective way to help both the uh, animal industry and the car industry and everything we talk about and everything that has a climate impact is to address this at its source at a place where you don't have to change people's mind because you force them. And that's called carbon pricing. That affects meat. That affects cars. That affects everything. That addresses the root of the problem in a way that takes personal decision, personal morals, personal ethics, personal culture, personal everything out of the picture and says, too bad. <laughs> you can make whatever choice you like, but guess what? Meat is now $1,000 a pound. I think that's more effective generally. I think it's more effective psychologically. And I think it's a faster way to get to the problem when we have a gun to our head and a clock ticking that explodes and we're all in deep trouble. And if we don't dress that clock in time, it doesn't matter what damn thing you eat because we're all going to be underwater. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's my position. And again, I, and I like how Stefan ended it that the last comment there should be, we love you vegans, because really <laughs> we do. It's just this one thing that I think that is not just not as effective 
from a marketing point of view, I think it's actively harmful because I think you're actually turning more people off. You know, people will come and tell me, uh, uh, another friend of the show, I'm not even going to name, uh, but another friend of the show who we haven't had on in a while, who's like, you know, I've, I've personally converted 30, 30 people to veganism. In the back of my head, I was like, you probably turned 90 people off of it. <laughs> Uh, now, I don't know if that's true, but based on how I see those conversations going, it's probably true. In my opinion, it's true. So to end that out in, in a positive thing, yes. As Stefan said, we love you. We agree with you on 99% of things. We just wish you kind of went about saying it slightly differently um, because we think you'll be more effective. Mm. That's the end of the day. We think you'll be more effective when you do that, not we don't like it and it's a personal thing. I think it's demonstrably more effective to, to adopt a slightly more incrementalist tone and to outline an ideal and, and create a path for people to move forward that ideal rather than saying, here's the ideal and if you're not that, you're an ass. And that's the last thing we'll say about it. Sabina. Okay. Um, that was a lot of talking. <laughs> it <laughs> no, was. That was almost a solid no, hour that, about our position. That was a really, yeah, no, that was really good. Um, what I really wanted to kind of touch upon, which isn't really – like something that is done really that much on this show, but I feel like a lot of activists are at fault for what you just said. You know, they are like super, super um, focused on their point of view and they don't really like care about what other people say about it. So or they, how it fits in. Or how it fits in with, uh, with other people's um, ideals. So they, they really pretty much turn a lot of people off, even though most people are probably 80% there to like believe them and kind of be on their, be on their side for it. But another another point for this uh, for this uh, veganism talk is that we we were talking earlier, and a lot of them it's not necessarily about climate, and it's about that um, the the aspect of animal cruelty. And uh, yeah, I was gonna throw it back to you, Stefan, on that on that quick comment that you made earlier on the radio where you said that you know ethical killing and right. i to me that's like inherently wrong like saying you know we're gonna build pipelines to to like you know get we're get gonna, ourselves to a carbon right. free economy you know right. it's kind of similar or military to intelligence or, or military <laughs> intelligence <laughs> or like uh, green bullets whatever that that one article was like earlier oh, hilarious. so you know it's it's kind of like a lot of people that are vegan are doing it for, for, for the animals, but they're actually also impacting really well for climate. Mm. So I'm really confused as to why these two groups don't get together. Like I'm personally like uh, both, you know, right. so, yeah. so it makes think, no sense. Yeah. So I think, and first of all, I think they do. I think they really, like, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people who really, really heavily care about, 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 you know, animal cruelty, you will also really find quite commonly in other places. Um, and I think, and, and I think, so ethical killing, uh, what's funny about that, is that, which very accurately called me out on that, because uh, what I mean more that is actually is the life that is, is really ethical living until they get killed, right? That's what I was really talking about. I was talking about that it's really that how the cow or any other animal is being, is, is being treated before, before slaughter. Um, and what I find so, and so, and the what I find so interesting about this moral debate that you get to at the end of this end of this conversation, which is really, which really, which is like, I fully understand if you transport all of what you believe your ethical opinions are, uh, like if you expand extend ethics that we currently are extending to humanity in the same level of ethics to all animals, then what we are doing is unquestionably horrific, unquestionably horrific. Um, and uh, so my the. The confusion I have to some extent within that within that argument um, is 
is a obviously is it so in that in, in that scenario nothing is good enough right it doesn't matter we could let people we, like we can let cows live super happy lives until we kill them but we're still breeding them to get, we're still breeding them to be killed exactly yeah, yeah. um but what, what interests me about about this conversation and i'm just gonna like I, I know it's an annoying argument so i'm just gonna throw it out there but it's part of sort of this larger concept and then immediately walk it back yeah well not even walk it back I, like, I, it's just it's, I, it's just like what are you donald trump <laughs> oh, no. the way my brain just works like <laughs> is that is that um, take 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 beef and cattle for for example. Um, yes, we shouldn't like if you if you come to the, say that we shouldn't be breeding them to kill them. Uh, then we just stop breeding them. Uh, then basically we have no cattle on Earth, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe is fine. Maybe like if your goal is not to have suffering, then you're uh, you're you're getting rid of a lot of suffering, right? Uh, which is which is fair. But then you also just have no cows anymore. Uh, we can't release these type of cows into the wild. And if they were in the wild, they'd still be getting eaten by other things. They they they're they, still point, domesticated. Animals. Actually, like to a large extent, means couldn't survive without us. Well, yeah, and and, and even and, and even and, and so so even so if we just released all of our animals, right? Like so, what's weird? What, 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 then then they're still getting eaten, right? So or they don't or they just can't can't survive anymore. So is, it, what, is it more ethical for a cow to be eaten by a wolf than by a human? I think the argument would be it is, uh, and uh, they would undergo probably more suffering depending on if you you know if you if you put it to if you you know slit its throat instantly and it and it dies with no pain versus being torn to shreds by a pack of wolves. <laughs> and again, I'm not making I'm not making an argument. I'm just saying these are fuzzy issues. We're yeah. talking about morality. Morality is a complex, messy topic. Yeah, and if the conversation if, if the moral if the moral the, I think the most obvious direct moral argument is that you shouldn't breed things to then be killed or used. Mm-hmm. Um, which I which I can understand, and and which is which is generally which is generally like if that's if that's our understanding, okay, uh, then that, then that's then that should impact all the decisions we make. Which means you know which means it would end up in a vegan diet. We stop doing all those sort of things. Except that I'm not exactly sure where, where they come in for like game hunting. I don't like do, like that's the one also just made. Is like what happens then? Are are we allowed? Like it seems as if for for a strict vegan argument, humans would not even be allowed to say would be would be allowed to say hunt game, uh, even in scenarios where humans were, say, historically the natural predator of said game, mm-hmm. uh, which is not that common. But a fascinating side note, the humans uh, have... Uh, humans are the best long-distance runners of any animal. Uh, humans can run at a speed for the long distance out of an animal. And the way humans used to hunt antelope, and some humans still do this, is they just run after them at a jogging pace mm-hmm. forever until the antelope gets so tired that they catch them. Our endurance score is high. Yeah, uh, but, but what, I, what, what Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But what I think that speaks to is like <laughs> humans Humans were, def, were designed in some way, and we are like, if we are, our, our animalistic tendencies work, or, or, or we evolved in some way to be predators of some of these animals. Uh, and so uh, the way the way where my moral confusion lands, like I understand, I, I, I'm more than willing to accept that yes, we shouldn't that the way we're treating animals, and I like even as a non-vegan, I fully think that factory farming is atrocious, and that is unquestionably something that has to end. Uh, and there's so much like, and there are so many practices that were unquestionably being awful to animals, and that that needs to stop. Uh, but the 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 absolutism of uh, is where I get is where it, things get murky in my mind. Uh, and so should yeah, should be cost like a dollar for a patty mcdonald's no and we're doing horrific horrific things to make that a possibility yeah. uh but should should this moral absolutism extend to every single animal ever across the planet that's what i'm like 
we're, now we're you're talking about Jainism. Of, well, we're all a part of the circle of life to some extent, right? And and I and I and, and that's where it gets murky to me. Uh, and so so that's sort of where I was going to, for that. And that's the I think, I think that's where the moral argument get, gets interesting to me because like when vegans you hear vegans now in in, in today's society, all what they are really against is is beef, is pork, is chicken, and it's the way factory way we're producing it. Yeah, large uh, large scale consumption of of produ- animals that are exclusively pr- bred produced, bred yeah. and produced to be killed. Exactly. Exactly, and which which is in which is almost exclusively horrific um, in in the ways that we're doing that today. today. And you and you'll find very few arguments from us on on that point. Yeah, uh, but I think but but uh, so it's the it's taking that sort of but, so that's what they see themselves railing against, uh, and then so that they take that sort of thing they rail against and then bring it into these other discussions and then try to find other glob on other arguments as reasons why you should why you should get. But their goal is really to stop this thing over here, and I think that sort of then muddies the conversation that we're actually trying to have and actually solving this major problem. Yeah, uh, and, and and to go to Darren's point, you know, uh, you can't really decide what you build a movement around. Uh, but he's right. A pri- uh, uh, an incredible price on carbon uh, would would fundamentally alter the system we live in, which would in, which in the parts part of this whole thing about about factory farming is that it's incredibly greenhouse gas intensive, mm-hmm. uh, and and a strong price on carbon, a strong a strong a strong legislation on this front would dramatically decrease the chance that you're doing you, you see you see these things, um, and there's a whole bunch of other arguments for like green, like factory farming is ridiculous. Like you want to talk about you want to talk about growth hormones or antibiotics or stuff like that. Like there are seven other different ways factory farming could kill us outright uh, that need to be addressed, especially with the antibiotic use Nitrate, of the cattle. Nitrogen it's crazy. production and being um, polluted into waterways, creating uh, 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 estuary uh, dead zones due to high nitrogen concentration, doing algal blooms, wiping yes. out local population by killing other... Yes, there's a, there's lot, a lot of freaking problems yeah. with factory farming. Uh, and, and, so, uh, and, but, and so I think the... And so, the, and I think all of those things w- are also a generally very effective way to discuss this kind of have to to, to frame factory farming. And I think that it's uh, I think that failing to do all these other other, other things and focusing just on this one on this one absolute absolute issue uh, does a disservice again to to sort of the larger conversation. And like, I, there is a fascinating conversation to be had about moral ethics. There's a fascinating mm-hmm. conversation to have, to have about philo- the philosophy, environmental philosophy, and extending rights to people, uh, extending rights to, to rights rights to rights to things. Um, we just have to, but that's a that's a different. All right, and so unfortunately, that is where the, the recorder died. We we ended up talking actually for about another five minutes, but I, I think at this point we we're basically just repeating ourselves. Uh, so, I mean, what Stefan was just saying, of course, you know that you know ethics is a really interesting conversation, and, uh, and I think it's an interesting one to have, but just you know not necessarily the, the useful to tack it onto uh, you know other discussions. Um, and, and to try and deal with sort of two complex issues at the same time. It's not even to say that one's more important than the other, just that it's it's not necessarily effective to sort of try and package two complicated things together because it may even make it even more complicated. However, you may not agree with it. Um, you may not have agreed with anything we said this week, but we do hope you uh, look through some of the links we provided. If you sort of, you know, still don't disagree with us, you know, we'd be happy to hear from you, but, you know, I'm not going to sort of reiterate and sort of go over it over and over again, the same sort of things that we had, uh, how we are happy to sort of hear from you. If you, if you agree with us, if you do disagree with us, uh, about this and please continue to do this. We really enjoyed that. We got to basically have an entire show themed around, um, some interactions with some of our audience members, and we hope that that continues to happen in the future. So thank you very much to our audience, to all of our listeners, uh, whether you agree with us or, or not, we appreciate your both listening and your comments. So, you know, whether or not you agree with us or we agree with you, we think this is all healthy and constructive. And, and I think that at the end of the day, that's sort of the attitude we need to have if we're going to win this. So thanks again for listening. Have a great week, folks, and we'll talk to you all real soon. 